Good morning and welcome to the Q2 2022 Dog Earnings Call. My name is Cheryl and I will be your operator for today's call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session. During the question and answer session, if you have a question, please press 01 on your touchtone phone. I will now turn the call over to Yuka Broderick. You may begin. Thank you, Cheryl. Good morning, and thank you for joining us to review Datadog's second quarter 2022 financial results, which we announced in our press release issued this morning. Joining me on the call today are Olivier Pamel, Datadog's co-founder and CEO, and David Opsler, Datadog's CFO. During this call, we will make forward-looking statements, including statements related to our future financial performance, our outlook for the third quarter and fiscal year 2022, our gross margins and operating margins, our strategy, our product capabilities, and our ability to capitalize on market opportunities. The words anticipate, believe, continue, estimate, expect, intend, will, and similar expressions are intended to identify forward-looking statements or similar indications of future expectations. These statements reflect our views only as of today and are subject to a variety of risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially. For a discussion of the material risks and other important factors that could affect our actual results, please refer to our Form 10-Q for the quarter ended March 31st, 2022. Additional information will be made available in our upcoming Form 10-Q for the quarter ended June 30th, 2022, and other filings with the SEC. This information is also available on the Investor Relations section of our website, along with a replay of this call. We will also discuss non-GAAP financial measures, which are reconciled to their most directly comparable GAAP financial measures, in the tables in our earnings release, which is available at investors.data.hq.com. With that, I'd like to turn the call over to Olivier. Thanks, Yuka. And thank you all for joining us this morning. We are pleased to report strong results in Q2 as we executed well and we extended our category leadership. Let me start off with a review of our Q2 financial performance. In Q2, revenue was 406 million, an increase of 74% year over year and above the high end of our guidance range. We had about 21,200 customers up from about 16,400 in the year ago quarter. We ended the quarter with about 2,420 customers with ARR of $100,000 or more, up from 1,570 in the year ago quarter. These customers generated about 85% of our ARR. We generated free cash flow of $60 million and a free cash flow margin of 15%. And our dollar-based net retention rate continued to be over 130% as customers increased their usage and adopted more products. Now, moving on to this quarter's business drivers. In Q2, while we overall saw strong customer growth dynamics, we have seen some viability in growth among our customers. We saw larger spending customers continue to grow, but at a rate that was slower than historical levels. This effect was more pronounced in certain industries, particularly in consumer discretionary, which includes e-commerce and food and delivery customers, and affected more specifically our products with a strong volume-based component, such as log management and ADM suite. Note that we did not see this with our SMB and lower spending customers, who continued growing with us as they have in the past. While these noisier growth data points and the current microclimate are leading us to be prudent with our short-term outlook, we remain very bullish about our opportunity and confident in our execution, as we continue to see positive trends underpinning our business. First, the number of hosts and containers being monitored by our customers is growing steadily which points to continued momentum of cloud migration and digital transformation projects. 
Second, we had strong execution on the new logo side as new logo AR was robust as we added a record 1,400 new customers in the quarter, including the impact of turning off about 200 customers in Russia and Belarus in Q2. And we closed a number of sizable six to seven studio new logo deals during the quarter with diverse customers, including a media conglomerate, a metal ore mining company, a US government agency, a SaaS business, and a hyperscaler. Third, our pipeline of large new logos and new product cross sales going into the second half of the year is strong. And fourth, churn remains low with gross revenue retention steady in the mid to high 90s. Moving on to our products, we are pleased with the continued adoption and expansion of our products for our customers. The three pillars of observability, which are infrastructure, APM, and log management, all grew strongly in Q2. Our APM suite and log management now exceed three quarters of a billion dollars of AR. As a reminder, we define APM suite as including core APM, synthetic, RAM, and continuous provider. In addition to that, infrastructure monitoring continues to grow strongly on par with recent quarters. We're also pleased with the adoption of our newer products. Our newer products, excluding infrastructure monitoring, APM suite, and log management, continue to grow ARR more than 100% year over year. And we've seen a strong start with our CI visibility products, which were announced at Dash last year and started charging for just a few months ago. CI visibility already has more than 1,000 paying customers, including some product-specific new logos. Our platform strategy also continues to resonate in the market. As of the end of Q2, 79% of customers were using two or more products, up from 75% a year ago. 37% of customers were using four or more products, up from 28% a year ago. And 14% of our customers were using six or more products, up from 6% a year ago. <clears throat> now let's move on to product and R&D, where our teams delivered another strong quarter of innovation. In June, Gartner published the 2022 Magic Quadrant for Application Performance Monitoring and Observability. Datadog has once again been named a leader, and we have improved from last year on our scores and ranking in all dimensions. We attribute this to uh, first to our unified platform experience, covering dev, ops, security, and all the personas in one place. But we also see it as a recognition of the continued evolution of Watchdog, or AI engine, which takes away the complexity of monitoring cloud-native architectures and provides proactive alerts, guided troubleshooting, and fully automated root cause analysis. We are very pleased that our APM product went from GA to best of breed in just five years. And I want, again, to congratulate our teams for this achievement. In June, we announced the general availability of observability pipelines, the 15th product in the Datadog platform. As a reminder, this is based on our 2021 acquisition of Timber, the company behind a very popular open source project named Vector. As organizations scale their applications, the volume of telemetry data grows exponentially. Engineers must manage large volumes of metrics, traces, and logs, and route them from many sources to many destinations. And this complexity leads to vendor locking, poor data quality, risks of sensitive data leaks, and an increase in overall management costs. By using Datadog Observability Pipeline, customers can control the cost and volume of data, decouple data sources from their destination, standardize and improve on data quality, and redact sensitive data to help maintain compliance. Next we announced the general availability of Audit Trail in June, helping businesses safely adopt the data platform while maintaining compliance, enforcing governance, and building greater transparency. And this week, we announced the general availability of Service Catalog. With cloud architectures, 
Customers are often creating hundreds or thousands of interconnected services, which are owned and developed by globally distributed teams. This large network of services often makes root cause analysis difficult, and it can be challenging to understand what to do to remediate issues or who to call for help. For service catalog, inventory services defines team ownerships and displays configurations and dependencies very similarly to what CMDBs might do. But where CMDBs are typically manually populated, our service catalog can identify this information automatically as it was specifically designed for the Cloud Edge. Finally, this morning we announced that we acquired Secret, which is spelled S-E-E-K-R-E-T. Secret's API observability platform gives engineering teams the control they need to better manage their private, public, and third-party sets of APIs. With Secret, we will accelerate on our path to bring customers' visibility into their APIs, and over time, unlock new exciting capabilities for our APM suite and our security platform. That's it for our product update this quarter. And needless to say, we're all very grateful to our engineering and product teams for their continued hard work. Now, moving on to sales and marketing. Let's discuss some of our wins in Q2. First, we signed a seven-figure upsell with a global services and audit company. This customer is going through a large-scale digital transformation, including migrating from on-prem data centers to multiple clouds, and in particular, Azure. They are consolidating nine disparate legacy and open-source tools to Datadog as their strategic platform, and purchase all of our products, as well as our premier support and technical account management services. Next, we had a seven-figure upsell with a managed service provider in Asia that is a top AWS partner in their region. This customer transitioned from their legacy monitoring tool to Datadog and adopted the entire Datadog platform. They are experiencing rapid growth as they, see, as they sell their MSP services to AWS and CDN customers, and they are expanding their opportunity as well as ours in ABAC. Next, we had a seven-figure land with a multinational media company. This customer has aggressive expansion plans for its streaming service, including an international market. But they found that their current mix of open source and legacy solutions wasn't meeting their needs. They calculated Datadog would pay for itself simply by accelerating the resolution of just one of their major incidents and avoiding loss of revenue. This customer started with infrastructure, APM, and log management, with the opportunity to expand and uh, to more usage and products as the company scales. Next, we had a 60 year land with a Fortune 500 logistics company. Three years ago, this customer chose legacy monitoring providers and homegrown solutions over Datadog. Now, our platform has come a long way since then. Meanwhile, incumbents were unable to meet this customer's needs, particularly around their Kubernetes adoption, leading to dozens of high-profile incidents a year with a high time to resolution. Additionally, this customer expects to save nearly $3 million in developer resources by consolidating multiple products to Datadog. Finally, we had a six-figure land with a gaming division at the hyperscaler. Previously, this company was primarily using open source and its own hyperscaler native tooling. But despite deep technical expertise, homegrown solutions were lacking granularity and consumed critical engineering resources. By using Datadog, this customer unlocked a prescriptive way to visualize, alert, and maintain the cloud gaming services. In addition to these wins, we also had a number of sizable six and seven figure new logo and expansion wins with companies that have recently experienced business contraction and announced staff reductions. These customers are looking to streamline their operations, save on engineering costs, or consolidate multiple vendors on a strategic platform. We believe that software is a deflationary force 
and we are confident in our ability to help our customers do more with less should economic conditions worsen. That's it for this quarter's customer highlights. I'd like to thank our go-to-market teams for their efforts and continued execution. Now, let me speak to our longer-term outlook. We recognize the macro environment is uncertain as we look into the back half of 2022. But we also see no change to the long-term trends towards cloud-based services and modern DevOps environments, and observability remains critical to that journey. We continue to drive market leadership and offer our customers value, efficiency, and cost savings to solve their complex monitoring problems. As a result, we continue to feel very confident in our opportunities. We believe cloud migration and digital transformation are drivers of our long-term growth and are multi-year trends that are still early in their life cycle. And we believe it is increasingly critical for companies to embark on these journeys in order to move faster, serve their customers better, and in times like these, become more efficient with their infrastructure and engineering investments. So we plan to continue to invest in our strategic priorities to execute on these long-term opportunities. At the same time, we will continue to, continue, we will continue to closely monitor the demand environment and will calibrate further if necessary to balance our long-term investments with financial strength. Before I hand it over to David, I wanted to make a couple of announcements. First, we are holding Dash 2022, our user conference, on October 18th and 19th at the Javits Center in New York City. This is an occasion for us to showcase our latest product innovations, and we're excited to show everyone what we've been up to. We also will organize an investor meeting at Dash, and we'll share more details on it shortly. And last but not least, we are pleased to welcome TT Cole to our board of directors. TT is CEO of Legacy Franchises at Citigroup and brings over 25 years of experience in senior global leadership roles in the financial services industry. Her perspectives and experience will be incredibly valuable as we continue to grow on scale. With that, I will turn the call over to our CFO for a review of our financial performance and guidance. David? Thanks, Olivier. We delivered strong financial performance in Q2. Revenue was $406 million, up 74% year over year, and up 12% quarter over quarter. As Olivier described, we executed strongly with robust new logo ARR growth, continued low churn, and continued strong platform tra traction. But we did see some customers beginning to manage costs in response to macroeconomic concerns, which impacted our usage growth with some of our existing customers. Looking at our growth with existing customers, our dollar-based net retention was above 130% for the 20th consecutive quarter, remaining strong as we continue to see customers use more existing products and adopt new products on the Datadog platform. We saw usage growth with some existing customers decelerating Q2, and that deceleration was concentrated in our larger spending customers as opposed to our lesser spending customers, where growth remained steady year over year. Amongst our industries, we saw relative deceleration in consumer discretionary customers, which represents low teens percent of our ARR. As a reminder, we are highly diversified in industries and segments. And we saw lower expansion rate weighted towards areas of our platform that have volume-based components, 
like certain aspects of log management and APM. Infrastructure monitoring AR growth was relatively steady year over year. On the other hand, our gross retention remained unchanged and steady in the mid to high 90s. We believe that our gross retention has reached and is sustaining these levels because of the stickiness of our product and the criticality of our platform to our clients. And as Ali mentioned, on new logos, we saw strong continued new logo acquisition and ARR growth broadly by geography and across industries and company sizes. Finally, our platform strategy continues to resonate with customers with 79% of our customers now using two or more products, 37% using four or more products, and 14% using six or more products in the Datadog platform as of the end of Q2. Moving on to our financial results. Billings were $397 million, up 47% year over year. As in previous quarters, we, have, we had some differences in the timing of billings of a few large customers, which were billed in Q2 last year, but were billed in Q1 this year. And pro forma for those adjustments, billings growth year over year was in the mid-50s. Remaining performance obligations, or RPO, was $881 million, up 51% year over year. Current RPO growth was in the mid-50s year over year, and contract duration was slightly lower than the year-ago quarter. In addition, we observed that some customers aren't changing their level of usage growth, but are being more conservative in their commitments, which impacts billings and RPO growth, but not revenue growth. As we said in previous quarters, billings and RPO growth can fluctuate significantly and vary from revenue growth, whether higher or lower, due to the timing of invoicing and duration of customer contracts. To illustrate this, we note that billings growth for the first half of the year of 2022 was 72% year over year. Now let's review some key income statement results. Unless otherwise noted, all metrics are non-GAAP, and we have provided a reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP financials in our earnings release. Gross profit in the quarter was $328 million, representing a gross margin of 81%. This compares to a gross margin of 80% last quarter and 76% in the year-ago quarter. We continue to experience efficiencies in cloud costs reflected in our cost of sales uh, this quarter. In the medium to long term, we continue to expect gross margins to be in the high 70s range. Given our success in increasing our investments in R&D and go-to-market, our non-GAAP Q2 OPEX grew 65% year-over-year versus 56% year-over-year in Q1. This included our return to in-person office travel and events, which contributed $11 million to the sequential growth of OPEX. Operating income in Q2 was $85 million for a 21% operating margin compared to operating income of $31 million, or 13% operating margin 
in the year-ago quarter. Now turning to the balance sheet and cash flow statements. We ended the quarter with $1.7 billion in cash, cash equivalents, restricted cash, and marketable securities. Cash flow from operations was $73 million in the quarter. After taking into consideration capital expenditures and capitalized software, free cash flow was $60 million with a free cash flow margin of 15%. Our free cash flow margin in the first half of 2022 was 25%. Now for our outlook for the third quarter and the fiscal year 2022. First, informing our guidance, we are using conservative assumptions as to the organic growth of customers, taking into account the macroeconomic uncertainty and recent variability of the growth among certain customers. As Olivier mentioned, we see healthy trends in the hosts and containers monitored and strong execution in our business but we recognize customers may have less visibility into their own businesses due to the macroeconomic environment. So for the third quarter, we expect revenues to be in the range of 410 to $414 million, which represents 52% year-over-year growth at the midpoint. Non-GAAP operating income is expected to be in the range of 51 to $55 million, and non-GAAP net income per share is expected to be in the 15 to 17 cents per share range based on approximately 347 million weighted average diluted shares outstanding. For the full year, fiscal year 2022, we expect revenue in to, be, to be in the range of $1.61 to $1.63 billion, which represents 57% year-over-year growth at the midpoint. Non-GAAP operating income is expected to be in the range of 255 to $275 million. Non-GAAP net income per share is expected to be in the range of 74 to 81 cents per share, based on approximately 347 million weighted average diluted shares outstanding. Now, as regards to our margin guidance, I wanted to point out first, gross margins have recently been at the top of our historical range. Range In operating expense, we have returned to in-office tra- in uh, attendance, travel, and events. We estimate that this was a 300 basis point sequential margin impact in Q2, and we expect, expect an additional 100 basis point sequential margin impact in Q3. As Ali mentioned, In Q4, we will hold our DASH user conference, and we will participate in the AWS reInvent, our largest trade show event of the year. The cost of these events will be approximately 400 basis points of margin impact. We're back to fully in-person events this year, and we're excited to get in front of customers and showcase our many product innovations. Next. We have been successful in making R&D and sales and marketing investments, and we believe these will pay off in the future. While we plan to continue to invest, we will remain judicious and disciplined in our cost structure, given macro uncertainties. As indicated by the guidance, 
we expect non-GAAP operating margins in the second half of 2022 to be in the low double digits. We are healthily profitable on a non-GAAP basis and are free cash flow generative. And we have built a highly efficient frictionless business model while driving high ROI on our investments over time. Our efficiency and financial strength affords us options in times of macro uncertainty that other market participants will not have. And we intend to make the best of this opportunity to drive our long-term growth. But of course, we are mindful of the environment and are closely monitoring our costs carefully. And we will calibrate further if necessary to maintain our financial strength. In conclusion, while we recognize there is greater uncertainty in the macro environment right now, we see no change in the importance of cloud migration and digital transformation, which are critical to our customers' competitive advantage. We believe we are well positioned to help our customers embark on these journeys. And we are investing aggressively into our long-term opportunities while maintaining our financial strength. I want to thank Datadogs worldwide for their efforts. And with that, we will open the call for questions. Operator, let's begin the Q&A. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question, you can do so by pressing zero one on your touchtone phone. Once again, if you'd like to ask a question, please press zero one on your touchtone phone. Our first question comes from Sanjeet Singh from Morgan Stanley. Your line is now open. Yeah, thank you for taking the question and uh, really impressive Q2 results with 74% growth. I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the trends you're seeing in the business and particularly with respect um, to the guide. I guess the first question is, as the quarter progressed, when did you start to see some of these slower usage trends in some of these um, verticals? Um, if you could give a comment on, on that. And then, um, David, in terms of the guidance, in terms of how you are framing it, could you give us a sense of what you're sort of assuming in the back half with respect to Q3 and to Q4? Is it some of the trends that you're seeing in July? Did that improve or stabilize or, or worsen? I'm just to give you give us some sort of context on how you are framing the guidance uh, for the back half. That would be super helpful. Okay, so so I'll start maybe with the, uh, the linearity. And um, we we did see the uh, the the viability in, in in usage growth that we mentioned. We see we saw that start really in late April, May, and, and June. Uh, so as we go deeper into the quarter, um, I should say that this is, if, you, if you're thinking of what happened at the beginning of COVID, uh, this is not a sharp pullback as we have seen at that time. Uh, but what we saw is just for some customers, still growth, but slower growth for certain types of customers and others um, than what we would have seen historically. Um, I should say that uh, while we did see that for some of our products, especially the ones that have uh, more of a volume component, like logs and, and some parts of ATM, uh, we we did see continued healthy growth uh, in hosts and um, or I should say cloud instances and, and containers, um, which really are indicative of the fact that the uh, the cloud migration is proceeding as as it was before. Um, to fully answer the question, also I think you maybe are getting ahead of what David is going to talk about a little bit. But in in July we did see an improvement on those trends, um, but we still remain conservative 
in our uh, outlook for the short term uh, because of the, the noisiness of the data we're seeing there. You know, it's a, there's a few more variations, a bit more noise, and the, all of that is underpinned by some macro uncertainty. Um, so we want to de-risk the guide a little bit and be a bit more careful. David, do you want to uh, comment on that? Yeah, on guidance, um, as you know, um, we have always been conservative in our guidance by using lower uh, organic growth and other metrics than we've seen historically and continue to ma maintain that philosophy. I would note that um, if you look at the, uh, the raise here and the percentage of the beat that was uh, passed through into the raise from Q2, it is uh, lower, more conservative than we have done in previous quarters. And the reason for that is the macro uncertainty where, um, uh, you know, we can't, we can't be as uh, confident about what happens um, in, given the macro uncertainty. So I would say there, if you, if you want to take that, there was some incremental conservatism put into this, but I remind everybody that we've always been quite conservative in using um, assumptions that are lower than the past when we give guidance. That's, that's super helpful. I appreciate all the context. And one more, if I could just sneak in one quick question. Olivia, on the, on the comment on, um, on, on which sort of products may be seeing um, slightly lower um, usage, fully understand like the volume-based um, products like logs, that, that, make, that makes complete sense. Um, with APM, though, um, I, I'm, a, I'm a little confused on why you might see some, some um, some deceleration there, because uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's you know primarily based on host-based pricing. So, any comments on like the APM side versus the log side in terms of um, how custom some of the trends you're seeing in terms of uh, usage across those two parts of the portfolio? That's a good question. Um, the, so, for uh, for APM, there's actually a part of APM that that looks like logs. You know, which is a uh, APM is part of it is uh, host-based and part of it is traffic-based. You know, if you want to run analytics and, and have longer retention on certain parts of your APM data, it basically behaves like logs. And that's the part on which we've seen some, uh, some slower growth. It's still growing, like both are actually still growing healthily, uh, but I would say slower than, than they were in recent quarters for these types of customers. And you can do the same thing with this APM data. You can a little bit more, a little bit more you can reduce retention and these other levers customers have to control the spend there. Makes total sense, I, I got it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our next question comes from Ramino Lenschow from Barclays. Your line is now open. Thank you. Uh, it's a new version of my name. That's nice. Um, the, mm -hmm. uh, can I stay on that subject, Olivier? The, so if you think, uh, is there a different pattern of how people work with you and use you if you say infrastructure volumes are, or infrastructure is not as much impacted or is not impacted as the log and APM part? Like, if you're, are you more important on that side because like if I'm thinking like I you know I, I need to uh, monitor my my applications as much as I need to monitor my infrastructure so I'm just like you know maybe it helps us understand a little bit uh, the, the differences there and then I have one follow-up no it's just that the these are you have more like short-term levers to actually uh, uh, optimize a little bit in the in, in logs and, and APM and anything that's volume based uh, what we think customers do is um, I mean, really, if we were to categorize customers, I would break, break them into three buckets. Uh, and one bucket is the customers that 
um, spend a lot with us, have us wall to wall in their business, not seeing their business slow down. Uh, you know, that's what we mentioned in consumer discretionary and food, and, uh, food delivery, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, in those cases, you know, naturally, you know, if customers are themselves are growing, you know, 10% instead of 15%, 50%, and they're using us everywhere already, like we're going to go slower with them, that's natural. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's only a small part of our customers. We're very diversified, and we also have a very small part of our customers that use us very, that use us well to go at this point. The second bucket, I would say, is customers that have a significant spend with us. Um, and I'll, I'll just say a little bit more uncertainty in the future, so their, their businesses might not be challenged today, uh, but pretty much every CFO everywhere has a mandate to look more closely at their expenses. And what we see those do is they're looking for optimization. They're looking for maybe to find some leaky faucets they can close. Um, and you can typically find some of those in, in logs, for example. And, and this is not something new, right? I mean, we've discussed it before. Uh, every customer goes through cycles where they optimize a little bit, uh, and then they go again, and then they optimize again. Uh, what happens in times like that is that you see a customers bunched in the same quarter doing it all at the same time because they're all going through the same uh, macro events. So we're seeing uh, we're seeing some of that there. Um, and again, this is not comparable in breadth or in magnitude to what we've seen at the beginning of COVID, uh, but still, you know, we see that in the data, so we wanted to call it out on the call. Yeah, the okay, first bucket okay. of thank this, you. Oh, sorry, yeah, Just to finish, I, I, I promised three buckets, so I'll deliver you the three. Uh, the, uh, the third bucket is customers that have lesser spend, you know, which uh, in this case would mean less than $500,000 uh, a year on us that are basically growing as they were before. They're actually growing more slowly than the larger ones, but the larger ones have slowed down a little bit while the, uh, the smaller ones haven't. I just want to clarify, uh, when, if you look after the call on our website, you'll see that in APM, it's host-based pricing, but there are other, there's other parts that are like logs, as Ali mentioned, that are data-related, that are um, related to ingestion and indexing. And so what we're saying is that, that um, the infrastructure part, both with the um, infrastructure and the APM, didn't experience as much variability, but the ability to tweak the use of the data through both ingestion and indexing, uh, which is more of a part of logs, but also a part of APM was where we saw that variability. Okay, perfect. And then the the follow-up, if you think about it, and I'm sure you have thought about it as you thought about the implications for the second half, uh, consumer discretionary sounds like the first thing that in the kind of downturn gets impacted. Um, you also mentioned food delivery a little bit, which is kind of seems more like the, the newer tech companies. Uh, is that something that you kind of uh, anticipate to go through the supply chain? So CPG comes next, uh, classic retail comes next, or how do you think about it when, or how did you think about that when you were buffering for the second half? Thank you. Yeah, so, you know, we're, we're very diversified, you know, so uh, uh, no particular part of the industry actually covers a large part of our revenue. Of our revenue. And also, I would say we, in terms of those of our customers that are very far along in their cloud migration or that are cloud native to start with, we actually probably have more of them in the consumer discretionary than in other verticals that we have. You know, so that, that all that came into consideration when we looked at our guide. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Cash Rangan from Goldman Sachs. Your line is now open. Yeah, I can, I can pronounce Ramo's name perfectly well, so thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank, thanks for giving me a chance to ask a question here. Uh, so uh, I'm curious, when you look at uh, AWS and uh, Azure, uh, I mean, much larger business, they had uh, good bookings, I think backlog growth, whatever you want to call that. 
if you can help us reconcile uh, your CRPO growth, uh, I'm sure there are company-specific things that, that pertain to how your CRPO growth uh, on a year-over-year basis, sequential uh, growth basis. Uh, and how, how, how do we uh, look at that in the context of what's happening with the hyperscalers? And they did put up, even during an uncertain time, tremendous backlog growth, whatnot. So is there something specific to Datadog? Maybe it's the 18% or so high teens percentage exposure to consumer discretionary. Maybe if you parse that out, there is a different way to look at the rest of the business. And if you could, if you could quantify how the rest of the business did relative to uh, how the, the hyperscalers were able to put up that kind of backlog. So we're trying to just bridge the performance of Datadog versus the public cloud at an aggregate level, uh, if you don't mind. Thank you so much. Yeah, so I'll start on the on the relative trends with the hyperscalers, and then maybe David can give you more color on the the, the bookings part. But um, the so in Q2 we did a lot better than the hyperscalers, so we're going a lot faster than all of them combined. And you know they've decelerated actually more than we've done on an relative basis. Um, so we we actually feel good about the uh, the, the ratio there. Like we're commanding a larger portion of the uh, the, the cloud revenue than we were last quarter. Um, in terms of the uh, the go forward, so I don't think the hyperscalers have to guide specifically for for, for that. But we um, we um, in terms of business trends, we see that all of the leading indicators of success are looking good for us. You know, so I've mentioned it on the call, but um, we're seeing uh, great action with new logos. Uh, we're seeing uh, great success with new product attaches. Uh, the pipelines going into the second half of the year are very good. Uh, we also done very well with the uh, with the capacity with with added and the, the hiring and um, everything that's a predictor for your success. All of that is looking good. Uh, what we don't have necessarily, you know, in terms of the gap for, for for the future is uh, uh, we have a little bit of more noise in the data in terms of growth, which gives us to be a little bit more conservative. No, David, you want to give more color on the booking part of it? Definitely. So um, remind everybody that with our land and expand, where um, we start getting used by clients, they scale up the growth, and when they get to a certain point through this has been going on from the whole business model, they go to a um, an increased commit. Um, because of that, there's variability in the billings and RPO that net-net over time, on average, go towards the ARR growth. Again, remember we mentioned that the ARR growth is the best metric, and the way to look at that is that you look at the revenues, you take, um, you use the linearity, which is 34 35% of that, and multiply that times 12, and that is um, pure because it doesn't um, – uh, get altered by when a bill goes out, either in timing or whether the bill is um, a previous commitment plus an on-demand or a new commitment. So it's always going to be noisy with us. We understand that um, investors and analysts look at it, so we try to give some color on that, but remind everybody that that is very variable and only over time uh, gets and comes back to the uh, revenue growth. So just to remind everybody, and I think we said it, we basically put in there that in the first half of the year, the growth of this was in the 70s, um, what, pretty pretty close to revenues. Why? Because there was some timing of billing in the first quarter relative to the second quarter that moved the first quarter up and the second quarter down, but it really doesn't have much effect on the drivers of our business. And just to, you know, 
be very clear about this. Like philosophically, we don't actually manage the business uh, to to billings, and that's because it aligns us with our customers. You know, so we manage it to usage, which in itself it turns it to revenue pretty directly for us. Mm-hmm. Um, what this means is, you know, we're, we're very heavily land and expand business. Uh, when when we land, we typically land small. You know, so uh, you know that has a typically a small impact on on billings. Uh, and when we expand, uh, whether we actually do a big expansion this quarter or next quarter, it doesn't really matter because it doesn't really change the usage of customers. It doesn't really change our growth profile. It doesn't really change the, uh, uh, the the revenue that we're going to see from them. And so we see some noise there, and we don't manage the business to it. Thank you, Ali and David. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Fatima Bolani from City Airlines now open. Good morning. Thank you for taking my questions. Um, Ali, one for you and one for David as well, please. Um, Ali, you talked about some wins uh, vis-a-vis DIY and open source uh, displacements in your prepared remarks. Uh, But I suppose in a more challenged or uncertain macroeconomic backdrop, the the free or, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it type model is potentially more attractive. So I'm curious if you can give us some uh, uh, color commentary on how you expect to sort of effectively compete with, you know, quote unquote, free uh, open source alternatives, especially for some of your volume-based solutions. And then I'll, I'll follow up for David separately. Yeah, so, so free is actually the most expensive typically because you have to build it yourself. And it turns out people and uh, uh, tend to be the most expensive thing for our customers. Uh, we, we mentioned in the script earlier that we actually had a number of sizable wins with customers that are, that had announced uh, layoffs, you know, shortly before they actually bought from us for the first time or, or had big expansions with us, and that's because uh, we help them we help them be more efficient. We help them uh, concentrate their efforts where it actually adds to their business, as opposed to you know reinventing the wheel in a more expensive and less efficient way themselves. I appreciate that. And, and David, just for you, I think historically you've characterized that roughly uh, three quarters of the business is tied to committed uh, and, and rate card committed type contracts. And, you know, I think you were very categorical in mentioning that um, RPO levels are moderating as uh, some of your customers moderate their commitment levels. So I was curious to get your perspective on sort of the next six to 12 month impact on increased conservatism around the commit levels, as well as how that translates into the the quarter of your business that is very much usage and overage oriented. If you could just frame that for us in more of a a six to kind of 12 month frame from here. And that's it for me. Thank you. Yeah, we haven't seen, yeah, thanks for the question. We haven't seen any change in those numbers. We still have the land, commit, use, grow, get into on-demand, recommit. But we did say that um, in the level of conservatism that was introduced to some clients, that they um, that they they may they may have stayed more into their previous commit plus on demand. Uh, because of that, that doesn't for that situation affect the revenues um, because they're still consuming the same, but they may want to retain more optionality. This is really sort of in um, in looking at financial management with level of uncertainty you generally would pay a higher price if you stayed that way, but you'd be trading off the the higher unit price, the marginally higher unit price for the more optionality. And we did see some of that. 
Um, we don't know what's going to happen next, but we would think that um, if we continue to have macro uncertainty, there will be some customers that will opt for that type of, of pattern relative to the commitments. And, and, and we're fine with that, by the way. Yeah. You know, we, we, we design the business that way. We don't offer large discounts for very large uh, time commitments. And that, again, that's by design. Like we actually want to align um, our, our success with the usage of our customers. And we, we, we're happy to give it that way. In, in times like that, this is always played out. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Matt Heedberg from RBC Capital Markets. Your line is now open. Uh, hey, great. Thanks for taking my question, guys. Maybe, David, a follow-up, I think, you know, really to, to Ramos' question earlier. Um, in your guidance uh, philosophy, did, did you assume other verticals beyond consumer discretionary slow their usage? And, and maybe what are the assumptions from smaller customers? It sounded like they actually were, were fairly strong this quarter. Yeah, to take the second part, um, I think we saw that in our smaller customers, we had, you know, very consistent uh, net and gross retention. Um, we always do that. So our guidance always takes the drivers, which would be the, the organic or usage growth and the new logos. It always takes it down. So we do that in every quarter. I think you, you, you know that from following us. And in this quarter, um, I, I mentioned that by passing through less of the um, beat, uh, we inject uh, an incremental level of conservatism. But overall, the philosophy of basically taking all of those things down and um, uh, it, it remains at the core of our, our philosophy of providing guidance. Got it. Okay. And then w was there a geographic element to any of the kind of the slowdown in consumption? Uh, was, was there a European element or was it sort of just broad-based geographic? There was not. Um, we did not see that. It was not geographic. Um, as we mentioned, it, it tended to be more either um, large um, uh, spend or uh, industry-based, but we did not see that geographic element. Got it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Our next question comes from Kamal from William Blair. Your line is now open. Good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks for taking my question. One for Louis, maybe. Uh, first of all, congrats on the acquisition of Secret. Uh, David Dog has historically done a great job of rapidly integrating these products and launching them as new solutions. I think at, at Dash, you mentioned that the typical turnaround is one year for these products uh, to become standalone David Dog solutions. Uh, however, given the upward trend in cash generation and, and your cash equivalents are now approaching $2 billion, have your thoughts changed around potentially making a more transformative acquisition, especially given the decline in market valuations today? It's possible. You know, we, everything's open. We've looked at some of those in the past. We see the bar is higher um, for, for larger businesses like that. But we're, we're really looking at Valuations coming down and, and some of, some more opportunities, you know, presenting themselves to us there. So everything's possible. Um, but, you know, we've, in general, we're very active on the M&A side. I think we'll only be more active um, as, a, as markets temper as they are right now. Um, but, you know, there, there's not much more I can say. Great. And uh, just as a follow-up, earlier this year, we spoke about DataDog building out its recruiting engine, and I see you've accelerated investments into sales and marketing again this quarter. 
I think even after adjusting for T&E. Can you update us on where these incremental investments are focused and, and given the macro environment, how do you think about the balance uh, between preserving margin versus continuing to hire maybe more aggressively and coming out stronger on the other end? Thank you. Well, right now we're, we, we, we're, aggress- we're aggressively recruiting. We're building capacity. We're successful at it. And I really see it as a uh, predictor of future success. Um, you know, we, we're in this interesting situation because, you know, as a company, we and we we are very efficient. You know, we we we've been uh, very disciplined from the founding of the company. You know, we, uh, for those of you who have uh, followed us you know, for a long time, we burned uh, less than thirty million dollars on our way to IPO, and we've generated a lot more cash than that since then. Um, so, you no know, discipline is really into the DNA, the DNA of the company. We also built uh, the, the the business around model that is frictionless and extremely efficient. And with that, we've shown this efficiency, um, you know, I would say over the past two quarters by growing very fast uh, while being, you know, fairly profitable. Um, so we, we have no doubt in our minds about the, the long-term profitability profile of the company. So what this does is that it affords us opportunities to invest in times like this that the rest of the market will not have. Um, you know, last year, everybody could invest, everybody could spend money, it didn't matter. Uh, this year, I think it's a little bit different. So we really see that as an opportunity to uh, to break from the back even further uh, and, you know, innovate, build self-capacity and, and, and all those things. Now, obviously, as I said earlier, discipline is in the DNA of the company. So, you know, we'll, we're always uh, looking at uh, what our, our margins are, uh, what the macro environment is, um, and we, uh, we have all the levers we need to adjust so we can maintain you know, profitability in the, uh, in the future. David, you want to comment some more? Yeah, I just want to add that um, what we said all along was we try to maintain a steady investment profile, which is um, focused on R&D and, um, and sales and marketing investments. And it's, it's banded by what we can execute, what we feel we can um, hire, uh, integrate, et cetera. And in periods where there are is an acceleration, we said this many times on the top line, we we can't we can't uh, invest as fast as that when the top line went up to 80. So you're going to have margin expansion. That was exaggerated because there were some safe, some costs that didn't happen in COVID that are part of our our normal business operations. So we try to maintain a steady profile of investment, and the, the variability is. Um, with there's acceleration of the top line, you might see that because it flows through at such a high mar- marginal rate. And then if you see um, a deceleration, you might see less of that margin expansion. So that's our philosophy, but it's always, you know, to invest and take advantage of the long-term opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Last thing I'd say, you know, we feel great about the opportunity in general. We feel great about the, as I mentioned earlier, the leading indicators of success, you know, whether it's new logos, product attaches, or product pipeline and our ability to, to ship it as well as the pipeline we see of customers that are, you know, uh, in sales processes with us for, for new products and, or just brand new deployments. So we feel great about all that, and this makes us very confident into uh, our investment. Uh, what's possible, though, is that if the demand environment is a bit more challenged, uh, there will be a, lo- a bit of a longer time for, for us to show around these investments, but we're fine with that. That's very helpful, color. Thanks again. Thank you. Our next question comes from Brent Sill from Jeffries. Your line is now open. 
Good morning, uh, I, David. I think everyone's still a little con uh, confused. You're seeing an inversion with what's happening with uh, SMB and large enterprise. Many companies are calling out weakness in SMB. SMB and not a large. Um, can you explain why you think you're seeing this inversion, and uh, are you embedding a more conservative view in the back half? Yeah, not not an inversion. I think what we said was um, we did not see what you're saying, which is SMB and smaller customers did not um, act differently than they had. What we said was whether it's an enterprise, mid-market, or SMB, what happened was in certain segments, consumer, et cetera, we had a more conservative or a more of a cost mentality. And two, irregardless of where it was in, remember SMB for us is 1,000 employees or less, mid-market, one to 5,000, enterprise, 5,000 and up. That in the larger areas where there had been substantial expansion, we saw a, um, a look at that cost. So those were the determinations. In other words, for us, it wasn't Europe. It wasn't um, that SMB fell out. It was those things. And in terms of the second half of the year, uh, we don't know. But in what we guide always, we assume lower organic growth in, every, in all the sectors than we have historically and that we might expect. So I think inversion is the wrong thing because what, this, what happened was the driver of the cost um, look was not whether it was an SMB mid-market or enterprise, but what the level of spend and the industry. One way to see it, to see it is uh, we're, we're critical to our customers, which is critically important. We deliver value, we have them more, be more efficient. Um, so in general, you know, whether whatever the size of the customer is, we're not on the chopping block. Yeah. Uh, but you know, uh, the more customers spend on us, they're going to look for savings where they're spending money, um, and they're going to see that at the larger levels of spend with us. And as we mentioned earlier, there's always a little bit you can optimize, especially with some of the volume-based products. And by the way, gross retention stayed uh, the same at all the different levels, SMB, mid-market, and enterprise. So when you're talking about do you have the solution and are you continuing to use solution, we saw no change in the gross retention across all of our customer sizes. Thanks for clarifying. Thank you. Our next question comes from Greg Moskowitz from Mizuho. Your line is now open. Okay, thank you for taking the questions. Uh, Ali, you're frequently speaking to a lot of Datadog customers. Anecdotally speaking, are they raising more questions about uh, your pricing levels uh, in this environment? Any commentary on that would be, would be helpful. So we, we're actually very optimistic from our conversation with customers because they, there's more and more of them. They want to buy more products. They want to use more of our products. They want us to solve a bigger problem for them. Uh, everybody wants a better deal, but I think that's always been true and that's always going to be true, and that's even truer in, in situations like this where the CFOs have a mandate to, uh, to be more conservative. So but anecdotally, from what we see with customers, we're, we're very bullish. Got it. Uh, and then you touched on some interesting uh, examples in your script, but if you were to look back over the past six months or so, I'm wondering whether or not there has been any change to the trajectory of uh, customer consolidation or standardization on Datadog. Um, so we, we keep seeing, you know, more and more of it. It's still not the majority of what we do, uh, but we think, you know, again, if the if the there is prolonged. Uh, 
uh, macro issues in the market, like we might see more consolidation and customers might want to uh, to really uh, try to save on their legacy software by consolidating on us. So we, we, we definitely see that as a possibility. Again, that's not the majority of what we do today. That's not what we base any of our projections on, uh, but that's something that we think might happen. Thank you. Our next question comes from Mike Sikos from Needham & Company. Your line is now open. Hey, thanks for taking the questions here, guys. I, I did just want to come back to that, that other point previously regarding the SMB versus enterprise. And really, is it fair to characterize some of the, um, I guess, movements you're seeing with these larger deals? Is it, is it maybe less of an impact to you at the SMB level, either because you're less of their wallet share when they're looking to pay out their vendors, or is it possible that those SMB organizations just have less exposure to your more usage-based products? They have the same exposure. They think the difference is, is it, is it worth, it to, worth your time to save $5,000? Probably not. Uh, you know, if you're a much larger customer, it's, it's worth your time to, to save you know, $500,000. And that's what we see with, uh, with, with those optimizations. Understood. And, and then the, the follow-up I had for you is if I look at the trends for uh, multi-product adoption from your customers, I think this is the first time we've seen uh, your two-plus product modules adoption actually decline sequentially from 81% to 79%. Is the implication there that your customers are starting smaller now or, or deciding to opt, hey, we'll, we'll take another product from you at a later date? Um, Again, if you could help me parse out that metric, that'd be helpful. Well, it's just mechanicals because you know we, uh, I think we said 75% of our new logos are landing with two or more products, uh, and we have more new logos, and so you know this pushes the, the number down a little bit. There's nothing, uh, you know, what 81, 79. These are all just, you yeah. know, then order. There's nothing, no change in trend. Got it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Our next question comes from Peter Weed from Bernstein. Your line is now open. Thank you for taking my question. Um, you know, I'm, I'm interested in the uh, customers that are doing some cost rationalization and trying to unpack, is that something that's targeted directly at Datadog or is it actually as part of a, a broader cloud rationalization that you see going on? It just happens to be that Datadog gets pulled into that uh, and may even just see splash on effect as um, customers are, um, you know, managing their overall cloud um, uh, topology uh, and with the pricing, you know, that, that pulls down Datadog. Um, help me unpack the, those two things, whether or not it's Datadog focused or, or more of a broader cloud focus. It, it's, it's just, it's just uh, focused on their cost structure, you know, so they, they line up their expenses in, by decreasing in decreasing order, and and they hit up everyone that listen. They see what it is that they can do to optimize. And again, you know, a number you see a number of customers uh, that are, they had layoffs. You know, so they're going after their cost structure, their hard cost structures, or their 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 workforce, um, and you know that were part of that. I think that's a, uh, it's a good thing because those customers spend a lot of us. We're very critical. We're one of the top vendors. Uh, that means. For those of, uh, of them who use us for world, like we are, you know, to a certain extent tied to their own trajectory. 
Okay, so so you're saying that this is very focused on Datadog as a as a line item and not just a splash on effect necessarily of. Uh, no, I'm saying I'm saying it's focused in what this. I'm saying that's focused on what they're spending money on, and for some of those, they're spending a lot of money on us. They're spending more money on the clouds, and they're I guarantee you they're also they're, they're also trying to save money on that. And we know that the cloud providers are also working with these customers to help them with their spend. I think everybody's aligned in trying to make their customers successful there. And we actually have been involved in efforts where we work with the cloud providers and these customers to help them make the most of what they have. Um, and again, in times like these, we want to be on the side of our customers. We want to help them. We want to help them get the most of what they spend on us so we can have a long-term successful relationship with them. Well, given the stickiness sure. and, and what we do, is monitoring of real-time applications for their clients, we feel that um, our experience has been that um, it is less focused on other things than Datadog, but when you're looking at your cost structure, um, there are opportunities, as you said, to rationalize across, but generally if you look at the gross retention and you look at how important Datadog is to the businesses um, and you read the newspapers, you see that it's focused on other things more yeah, yeah, no, no, that that makes sense. Um, well, and one other uh, last question, if you may, uh, I think you alluded to some, um, you know, timings of some contracts over quarters and this type of thing. In that there may have even been some improvements in July um, in some of the momentum of, of closing contracts. Um, uh, can you comment on, on some of those improvements and um, how you see them kind of juxtaposed with some of the other caution that, that you're talking about and have to? So I think the improvements in July were not about closing contracts. The one I mentioned were about the usage trends, uh, which is fairly, for us, is fairly divorced from the, the, the closings and the contracts and everything else. Uh, we also, you know, again, have a great pipeline and you know, we're very happy with what we see in the sales side in July, but, you know, this is a... Uh, which we commented about the, uh, the the usage. Yeah, like they're always, as right. always. I think we've um, been on calls over time. Every call, if the, if there's some tiny differences to the positive, um, billing was in this quarter. We try to point it out because when the bill goes out or when the commitment is not is not as correlated to the revenues as ARR is. So we, I think we said that on every almost every earnings call, and we just remind everybody all the time that because of the land expand model that um, you're going to have variability plus and minus. And when it's plus, we want to remind everybody not to read anything into it. And when it's less, we want to remind everybody that, that that's not the major metric that drives the top line growth of the company. Sure. But I mean, if, if you've got utilization, it should turn into, you know, additional revenue in, in future periods. And I think you're mentioning um, kind of a, a positive uh, trajectory. Um, Usage actually is revenue in the same period. Like if the two are one and the same, you know, there's no delay between those two. Whereas that, there's delay one way or another with billings. Yeah, and I guess what I'm getting at is if you see that positive trajectory in July, it will turn into, you know, um, revenue in um, in the period. And yeah, but how we're are not, you seeing that going we're, forward? We're making I marginal, guess. yeah. We're telling you that we're telling, saying that unlike in COVID, there was we had we had strong usage growth, you know, re, um, we had usage growth in a lot of places and, and on average, in the second quarter. What we're saying is that in July we saw pockets where there was you know a little better usage growth, but we're not we're not calling the market here. We're basically reporting 
what we see and what we hope is the most um, helpful and informative way. So, yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you. This has concluded the question and answer session. I will now turn the call back over to CEO Olivier Pamel for closing comments. All right. Thank you. I want to thank everyone for uh, spending time with us on the call. And again, I want to thank all of the other employees for a great quarter and for continuing to be a fantastic company and so far to our customers. So thank you all, and we'll see you next quarter. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This concludes today's conference. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.